invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 as we continue and are near concluding our study in the book of Ephesians. Our text today can be found on page 1824 in the Bible provided for you in the pew. And as you see, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a family celebration, but it's a celebration of thanksgiving. The Eucharist itself is that joyful celebration of thanksgiving for what God has done for us. But it's also communion. That means together. It's the family meal. But it's also soul nourishment. It gives us inner strength in our soul as we're reminded of what Christ has done for us. It's really a great picture of what Christian formation and spiritual warfare are all about. We've been reminding one another that Christian formation, being made more and more like Christ, and spiritual warfare involve the same issue, and that is the dying to self that is demonstrated in Jesus Christ and living a sacrificial life of thanksgiving to God. Our culture is entrapped in a cult, the cult of self. Me, my, mine. I must become the best version of myself. What does that even mean? I must live my own truth. And that sense of self and self-expression is actually destroying community and culture. And it's one of the lies of the evil one that he would use to create distortion in your own community and in your own heart. We're not to be conformed to the image of this world, transformed by the renewing of our minds. And we understand this when we move beyond the cult of self to living out the sacrifice of the Savior. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 talks about this picture of spiritual warfare as well as Christian formation. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to continue to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it 
fearlessly as I should. This is the word of God. Thanks be to thee, O God. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, will you open our eyes that we might understand just what you're doing in our lives. And for those who struggle to understand some of the circumstances in their lives, I pray that you would teach us about suffering in the gospel and you would remind us that suffering is the only way to open up the door to heaven. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come down to show us that and we pray you would seal that truth to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. We are all sufferers, or we will be. Have you ever cried yourself to sleep? Have you ever wondered, would the pain go away? Have you ever thought, will I ever be able to move beyond this devastating situation? Well, if you haven't, living in this world long enough, you will. There's no escapism in salvation from pain, from suffering, from disappointment, from evil, and the presence of evil. In fact, the Bible does not teach us that salvation is escapism. It teaches us that salvation is refinement. And the primary metaphor that the New Testament gives for sanctification is refinement by fire. Just think about that for a second, that salvation for us is seen as refinement, the refiner's fire. True spiritual warfare and Christian formation means that we will have to make sense of our suffering and we'll have to answer the question, why, oh God, would you allow this to happen to me? That's not just the question that the unbeliever asks when they want to discount belief in God. How could a good God allow so much evil in the world is often used as an easy dismissal of the reality of God the creator and sustainer of all things. But Christians battle that same question when they face suffering. And the devil, in his schemes we read in this text, lies to us. And he would want us to doubt God's wisdom and to doubt God's love. And in so doubting God's wisdom and God's love, he would want us not simply to sin. He would want to destroy our faith in Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, this text shows us that suffering is part of God's plan in salvation. And probably other than the book of Job in the Bible, the book that has been so helpful to me in understanding suffering and the Christian experience is this book by Tim Keller, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And Keller uses this image of the refiner's fire really as the outline of the whole book. You can't understand suffering. If you don't understand the refinement of fire, you can't understand sanctification if you don't understand this image of refinement. But I was on a Zoom call with several pastors that he was speaking just about a year ago when it was announced that he has terminal cancer. And not just the years, but the days are being counted before Tim Keller will inevitably leave this earth. 
and he said, I had to go back and read my book I wrote on walking with God through pain and suffering. I had to ask myself a question. Do I believe what I tell other people about the gospel, about refinement, and about God's goodness? You know, two weeks ago, I talked about being in the mountains of Peru and how we were sitting before a fire, and as that fire began to uh, dim, I began to see these eyes of creatures that were moving closer to our camp. And the missionary threw a larger log on the fire and reminded me, keep your eyes on the fire, not on those eyes there. It was instructive about the Christian life. All too often we get focused on what is attacking us and we don't see what is protecting us. But this image here can be unnerving because this image here is that you and I, Christian, are called to walk through the fire. We're to walk into the suffering and we're to expect that in that, God is going to change us and God is going to refine us as gold is refined. Listen to Proverbs 17. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and thus the Lord tests every heart. Malachi 2, he will be like a refiner's fire or launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of fine silver. He will purify his people and refine them like gold and silver. Second Peter 1, in all your suffering rejoice because in the proving genuineness of your faith, greater than gold, which perishes through refined fire, he will refine you that you may result in praise and honor and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. Our text here says Satan will send fiery darts. And what is his aim? To extinguish your faith. And you're to take up the shield of faith because Satan doesn't simply want to use lies to lead you to sin. He wants to destroy your faith. How does the gospel protect us in suffering under the evil one. The first sermon that I preached after our former pastor left was on a Sunday things of reminder about spiritual warfare and the gospel before we talk about authority and acceptance and alignment. Number one, we've all been inf infected by the prosperity gospel. Some of us think that there's a certain group of Christians in America that have been infected by the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel is simply this. If you have enough faith, if you pray enough, and if you're sincere enough, God will not let you get sick and God will not let you suffer. And that's an evil lie because this table reminds us that it took suffering to open up heaven and it took sacrifice for us to experience healing but all of us think that when we suffer, maybe there's a deficiency in my faith. Some of us who can't shake besetting sins or intrusive negative thoughts, the evil one will shame you and guilt you into believing. If you just tried harder, if you just prayed more, then maybe you wouldn't be suffering. That's a lie from the devil. 
I would also remind you that Christians battle the same doubt that unbelievers battle, and that is we often ask the question, God, why am I suffering? Why did this happen? You see, we do believe that all things work together for good. In that sense, not that all things are good, but all things that have come to you and to me have come through the Father's hands, His permissive will or His directive will. And when he's allowed the evil one or evil people to harm you, we're told that God does that for our good. And it's hard for us to understand and and at this point trust him. But I want you to hear this. Christians battle with that same doubt. And then lastly, remember, Satan's primary aim is to destroy your faith in Jesus Christ. Those fiery darts are diffused by the shield of faith. That shield, that Roman shield, that was probably four foot by two foot that would wrap around all the vital organs. And we'll get this uh, later in the sermon, but a Roman soldier knew that that shield was not simply for his safety and his salvation. He always fought in a cohort with a team And he always had to stay close in in case he had to close ranks and protect the backside of another soldier. And we will not survive or thrive in this battle if Satan is allowed to isolate us and if we separate from one another. So we fight the good fight of faith. And we do that under God's authority in acceptance of God's goodness and in alignment. Let's look at those three things. First, authority. The battle is the Lord's. It says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor. Even the equipment that we're given is the Lord's. And Ephesians 1 through 6 has been teaching us. God has a plan for your life. And that plan was to save you from your sins, to redeem you. He sent Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Apply that to your heart. He puts you into a family, the body of Christ. And now he wants you to put off the old self and put on the new self to live in the armor where we're girded with truth. We put on the breastplate of righteousness. We take up the shield of faith. We have the shoes of peace that we protect our our boots, we protect our feet. We have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. All of these related to the Word of God, the Gospel. God has given us all that we need, but the battle is the Lord's. Exodus 14, when the children of Israel saw Egyptians closing in on them with the Red Sea trapping them, Moses stood and said, the Egyptians will see today and they will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to stand still and see the salvation that is the Lord's. In 1 Samuel 17, David facing Goliath, the strong man of the Philistines, he turned to Israel and then he turned to Goliath and he said, the battle is the Lord's. He will give all of you into our hands. Second Chronicles 20, after the Moabites waged war against Israel and Jehoshaphat, He said, you will have to fight this battle because the Lord will fight this battle. Take your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance that is the Lord's. 
So first and foremost, we need to understand the authority that we have in this battle. We stand strong in the Lord's control. Just think about if you were a Roman soldier and you got separated from your unit, from your cohort. Would you conclude that you should stay there? Would you believe that the battle now belonged to you? Would you have the equipment to fight the enemy? No, what would you do? You'd go find your unit and you would go find the sovereign and you would ask that sovereign, what would you have me to do? Where would you want me to stand? What is my role in the battle? That's submitting yourself to God's authority in your life. As I've walked through struggles that Christians have had with discerning God's will, I've noticed that often a Christian will say that I believe in God's authority, but they don't give the Word of God the authority that is necessary to gain the guidance for God's will. And they won't seek godly counsel to understand the Word of God. Listen, if you're not girded in truth, if you're not uh, carried on with the breastplate of righteousness and, and a shield of faith, which is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, if you're not saturating your mind in the Word of God, it's likely that you are under your own authority and not the authority of God. And if you're not seeking godly counsel, because you should be with brothers and sisters and you should say, let's examine the scriptures together and let's see how the scriptures instruct us to live. If you're not living that way, I want you to know you're living without his cover and without his protection in your life. How much weight do you give the scriptures for directing the decisions that you make in your everyday life. My high school quarterback coach was David Cutcliffe. Now, some of you may know who David Cutcliffe is, some may not, but he uh, was the quarterback coach for Peyton Manning at the University of Tennessee. He was the head football coach and quarterback coach of Eli Manning at Old Miss. He's now the head football coach at Duke University, and he uh, is considered the quarterback whisperer, they say, that he, can, he runs the Manning passing camp and he can identify and spot a quarterback and uh, basically understand how to develop these quarterbacks. Well, I was in the quarterback room my freshman year and Coach Cutcliffe turned to me and he said, Heron, what are you doing in the quarterback room? And I said, well, I'm a quarterback. And he said, well, who says you're a quarterback? I said, I've been a quarterback all my life. And he said, well, you're not gonna be a quarterback on my team. And uh, I'll tell you, talk about speaking the truth without love. That was a hard wait to hear. <laughs> and at this time, he was just my quarterback coach. He wasn't David Cutcliffe, the quarterback whisperer. At least I didn't think so. But he, he said, well, what are your goals? And I said, well, my goal is to play quarterback in college, like our former quarterback who went on to play quarterback for Alabama and went and played 13 years in the NFL, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do what Jeff Rutledge did. And he said, well, no, you won't because you're not going to get signed to play quarterback. You're a receiver. Well, that was hard to hear, but at some point I had to trust. Does, does he know what he's doing? And can I align my life with what he's recommending. Now, 
The Word of God is to have that kind of authority over your life. It's to allow you to see where you need to change. It's to show you where you're needed to add something in your life. It's the authority that we're to be submissive to. Secondly, when we are living under the authority of the Word, we can accept and embrace God even in the midst of whatever suffering we're facing. What this means here when Paul says to stand firm, to stand strong, what is he talking about here? He's saying that we can embrace God even in the midst of our suffering. It doesn't mean that we consider suffering joy. In fact, it says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross despising its shame. It could be very difficult and we may hate every minute of it, but we can embrace God even in the midst of our suffering. Well, how so? We do this when we understand that we struggle, but we struggle together. Let me talk about those two things. First, we struggle. It's important for you to see that the Christian life is a struggle. And sometimes, as I said, the prosperity gospel would make us think, if I'm struggling, then there's something deficient about my faith. No, Paul says here that we struggle. And he says that suffering is going to be a part of everything we experience. He describes himself as an ambassador in chains. Just think about that. Think of that image. Paul says that early, he said, I'm a prisoner to the Lord. And he was in Roman chains. He was suffering. But what did he say? He said, I'm an ambassador. Pray for me that I would stand. Even when I struggle, pray that I would stand. So the Christian life is a struggle. And it's important that we embrace God even in the midst of our struggle. Many of you know that one of our dear brothers, Tony Neal, is going through quite a bit of suffering. He doesn't like me to talk about him, especially not in a sermon, but we've been going back and forth in emails about how to struggle and still stand. And a book that he shared with me called This Too Shall Last by K.J. Ramsey has really helped him. And we'll be putting together some blogs that we'll share with you. But K.J. Ramsey was a student at Covenant College, a student of Kelly Capick's. And she began to experience some extreme health struggles that have now lifelong implications have not gone away. And she had to wrestle with God, and she had to ask this question, in the midst of my struggle, can I still embrace God? That's what Tony has been teaching me as I've walked with him and prayed with him. But I'll tell you this, when you're struggling and suffering, you need to close ranks. You need to move close to another person. And you need to say, tell me the truth. Remind me of the promises of God. Pray with me. Because if you get isolated from the body of Christ when you're suffering and struggling, the enemy will destroy your faith. That's one of the things that's been so difficult about this pandemic. The evil of separating us from one another and creating distance when what we need is to close ranks. We need more time together. And we need more support of one another. Paul says that we will embrace God when we understand that 
The Christian life is a struggle that we fight together. And then lastly, remember, we have to accept suffering as a tool to refine us, to cut away the dross, and to glory in what God's doing in our lives. Job had to learn that. He says, refine me, O Lord. There's really just three ways to respond to suffering and struggles. You can seek to escape it, try to ignore it, just put on a happy face, live in this world that we call the Disney world of history, the United States of America. You can escape it, or you can tolerate it. You can say, this is going to be part of my experience, and I'm just going to have to accept it. But you could also redeem it. And you redeem it when you embrace God and you say this, God, I know there's two hands that hold me. One hand provides and directs me, but the other hand permits and shapes me. And I'm going to embrace you even in the midst of my suffering. Amy Carmichael learned this when she went to the mission field. She was in India. She'd been in Africa before that. And I guess she thought that she had a lot to contribute to those who were in need. She started an orphanage and she began to teach women the Bible, translating the Bible into the native language. But she experienced a disease within the first few months of arriving there and she spent the next 30 years in a bed. She said, I had to have people wait on me all day and I was there as a missionary. She said, it taught me I will either tolerate this pain or I will embrace God in the midst of this pain. And she wrote this poem called In Acceptance Lieth Peace. Let me just read you a couple of lines from there. He said, I will forget the dying faces, the empty places. They shall be filled again. O voices moaning deep within, cease. But vain, vain the word, not in forgetting lieth peace. He said, I will crowd action upon action. The strife of factions shall stir me and sustain me. No, no, vain, vain, not in endeavor lieth peace. I will withdraw. I'll be quiet. Why meddle in life's riot? I'll shut my door to pain. No, no, vain, vain, not in aloofness lieth peace. I will submit I am defeated. God hath depleted my life of any rich gain. No, no, vain, vain, not in submission lieth peace. He said, I will accept the breaking sorrow, which God tomorrow will his son explain. Then did the turmoil deep within me cease. Not vain the word, not vain, for only in acceptance lieth peace. Who teaches us to live that way? Jesus Christ teaches us to live that way. Heaven's door was closed until, in acceptance, he took on suffering and sacrifice so that we might have life and forgiveness. It says that Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. But it says it was the joy set before him. What was the joy set before Jesus? You. And you, and you, and you, and you. Jesus saw a reward, a family for the Father. He saw you, he saw me, and he said, 
in acceptance. I'll walk through that fire. Not around that fire, I'll go right in it. That's what gives us the strength, the love of Jesus Christ. I want to close by just talking about alignment for just a minute. Seeing suffering as a, a tool. This text is talking about how this worldview should shape every part of our life. Not just our one hour on Sunday morning. This, this should shape our lifestyle. It should shape how we spend our money. It should shape what becomes our routine. Now, I'll tell you that this pandemic has disrupted a lot of our routines. And maybe some of you want things to return back to normal. Maybe you have, some of you are glad that certain routines have been disrupted. But I'll just tell you this. Your routine must be in the Word of God, with the people of God, examining the Word and asking God's Word to instruct you. And that needs to be your routine, not simply for an hour. It needs to be your life. And I'll tell you, if it's not, you will be attacked by the evil one. And if it is, you'll still be attacked, but you'll have a brother or a sister close enough that will teach you God's Word. And together, you'll cry and pray You'll see every battle as your battle, not just their battle. You know, one of the routines that was disrupted for me is where I officed. I had an office across the street, and when the pandemic shut down, none of the buildings were open at first, and then we were just opening this building. So I started bringing my books over here to the study, which is just outside the sanctuary. And I tell you, that routine changed when I was one door from this place. When I had a problem, when I had an issue, I would just walk in here, put down the kneeler, and I would say, Lord, you know that church member that's giving me all these problems? Lord, this is your people. Lord, when I don't know what to do, when I'm unsure, I could come here, that routine changed. I, know, I noticed also that one day I came up the ramp next to the children's ministry building, and I liked it because... Number one, it has an elevation as you ascend into the church. I said, I like this, that, you know, God is taking me closer and closer as I ascended. But I get to the top of that ramp, and there's a stone there, the Ebenezer stone. Have you read that stone? It says, thus far, the Lord has helped us. And I said, you know what? I'm going to step on this stone every time I come into this church because I need to be reminded that the Lord has helped us and he will help us. So I go, that's the way I come in. I've changed that routine. Every time I come into this church, I come up and step on the Ebenezer stone. You may need to change some of your routines. You know, some have not returned to worship in person because of health concerns, and we support you in that. But some have not made that routine because you've just fallen out. It's easier to stay home or it's easier to catch. I'll just tell you that you need to be here and your brothers and sisters need you here. We need to close ranks. We need to move together. We need to stand together. I uh, was thinking about sharing with you about the pyramids. You know, we have the communion pyramid up whenever we have communion or Christmas or Easter we have the white pyramid but then you have two major seasons in the church you have um, Easter which is pr 
preceded by Lent, correct? And then you have Christmas that's preceded by Advent. But this is the pyramid that's up most of the time, over 26 weeks. Do y'all know what this is? This is actually called normal times. This is called normal times. And I love normal times because what it tells me is that I've got to battle evil all the time. I've got to battle evil mothers of small children when you're changing diapers. You've got to battle evil at work. In normal times, it says, after having done everything, that speaks of saturating yourself with the word, but it also speaks of applying the truth of God in every circumstance. That's what's so beautiful about this table. This table is an invitation that reminds us the battle is the Lord's. We serve under his authority. And in whatever circumstances we experience, we can embrace him as he has embraced us. And we can realign our lives with the truth of this gospel. Let me remind you, the evil one will want you to doubt God's wisdom and doubt God's love. This table reminds you he will never leave you. Let's pray together. Thank you for this assurance, O God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for applying this truth to our hearts. We praise you, Jesus Christ, that when we are faithless, you remain faithful. And we celebrate that truth as we are reminded that we belong to you. We pray this in your name. Amen.